Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to the Educated Home Buyer Live. Our goal here is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. With that, we're going to answer your questions. We're going to update you on the economy, and we're going to have some fun. Josh, welcome back to the show, to the live. It's been a, it's been a fast week. The uh, last seven days went by quickly. Well, like you said last week, when you're having fun, time just flies by, and there is no better fun to have than being a real estate agent and a mortgage professional in these times. So with that said, what's changed since last week, Josh? Just a little bit, just a couple of things. Uh, we received inflation numbers. Uh, inflation came in better. Uh, inflation is going down, but the numbers weren't quite as good as economists had expected. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. With that, we actually saw interest rates go up. Um, shoot up? Is shoot up the right word, Josh? Did they shoot, shoot up is not the right word. We'll go through that with a couple of charts here, but definitely up. Definitely up. up. Probably yeah, a, yeah. Quarter, a quarter over the last week, and we're probably a quarter of the week prior to that. You know, we talked last week, Jeb, about, hey, when you, whatever you're seeing in the headlines is a week out of date because it's generally uh, the news reporting the Freddie Mac primary mortgage market survey. So last week, we were still seeing reports of rates uh, at four-month lows, um, and they were actually up about a quarter percent, so really a half percent or so over the last couple of weeks. Gotcha. And uh, volatility, volatility in the market, Fed officials talking about keeping rates higher, going higher, all of the good stuff that we talked about over the last couple of weeks. So the idea of buying now, waiting, clearly we're going to address that as we do in the episode. Uh, but before we dive into some of the charts that we normally dive into, just a little housekeeping, um, you know, items, if you will. Uh, many of you guys know we have a podcast in addition to the live that we stream here on YouTube. You can find that on the educatedhomebuyer.com or on Apple, Spotify, basically anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Every week we do a deep dive every Tuesday into a topic real estate related. Uh, this past week we talked about deal killers. What makes deals fall out of escrow? We often hear, I often have buyers coming to me saying, Jeb, that property has been sitting on the market for 60 days. Uh, there's got to be something wrong with it, whatever. And so in this episode, we talk about why some of these things fall out of escrow, what happens, why days on the market sometimes appear higher than they actually are, all of that good stuff. So go out and check out that episode. And with that, Josh, um, we also have a community on Circle that you can be a part of. We're posting articles there. We haven't been um, posting a lot recently just because we've been super busy, but we're trying to put that into the schedule. So if you want to be a part of that community, it's free. Go check it out. So Josh, anything you want to add to before we pull up some of these charts? Now let's start with the data. Numbers never lie, Jeb. Numbers never start lie. Start with the data. So if you're watching this online, you can find these. I mean, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can actually find these charts in that home buyer, that circle um, uh, community, if you will. And uh, if you're here online, clearly you can get them by just looking at the screen. So let's do this, Josh. So 12 month percent change of CPI. So what you can see here uh, is headline inflation on the top, core inflation on the bottom, excludes food and energy. 
And you can see the numbers are trending in a downward um, progression, which is a good thing. I'm going to go through some of these, Josh, quickly, unless well, you want to let's do, No, yeah. let, let's leave this one here because this is a really important question. Um, we saw a big drop with the three prior reports mm -hmm. and we see the trend continuing with this one but the market got worse well, what's the difference jeb the last three months we see improvement in, in cpi improvement in inflation numbers this week uh less improvement and all of a sudden the market is in an uproar and uh and thinks that rates have to stay higher for longer what changed do you have any theories on this well what changed is the numbers weren't quite as good as expected right on top of that we know that they changed some of the calculations a lot like uh the the i was <laughs> a lot like the bls did uh with the jobs numbers uh the week prior um and so with some of those recalculating of numbers some things appear higher uh, than they actually are but what what was your where were you going with that i'm going to say the same thing but let me add another point to it it's always funny to me when you're looking at the market was surprised or the market didn't like numbers you can pretty easily do a fairly good job of reverse engineering these numbers. Now I say that, do I do it? Do I dig into the numbers reverse engineer them? No, but I pay money uh, to people who do have staffs that sit there and research and go, this element is likely to do this. So what did we think was going to happen this month? We thought there was gonna be moderate improvement because the year over year um, trend in housing costs is still uh, up and was going to be up aggressively this month. We should have um, a high base year uh, effect from last year, uh, a high year, a high month falling off, being replaced by a lower number. But the core element, the element inside there of the housing, we knew that was going to be up. So we didn't expect much improvement. Now, on top of that, we have a, a secondary piece here that we add into that of saying that the numbers got tweaked. Um, and that's not to say anything nefarious. It's not to say that the government said, hey, let's cook the books. Let's change these numbers. They do this adjustment every year at the beginning of the year. So what do we have? The market had um, should have been expecting slight improvement. And for some reason, they were expecting the nice big improvements that we saw the last three months. Um, they also had some adjustments that kind of made those uh, numbers not look as good as they probably otherwise would have if we didn't make these seasonal adjustments. So it just surprised me the magnitude of the response. I have always been a little bit fearful for what happens this month and next month with the CPI figures because we didn't expect to see much improvement. We've pointed to April, which those numbers won't be out until May. So what do we right. talk about? We have 90 more days of the market sitting here wringing their hands and, and worried and concerned uh, about this. Now, because of these tweaks and these changes, I know some folks who are saying, hey, the Fed's preferred measure is PCE. We've talked about for the last six, seven months, the market has focused more on CPI, even though they know the Fed's preferred measure is PCE. We could see some help or some improvement from the PCE figures. It'll be another two weeks before they come out. Um, but let's just watch and keep an eye on it. Um, all bets are off as to what happens in the, the near term. I definitely think as the spring progresses, things are going to continue to normalize. We're going to see inflation continue to moderate. We're going to get sort of the weirdness of, of the January uh, numbers that were reported here in February for the, the jobs report. When those come out in March, we're going to see it normalize. Again, I don't expect a huge amount of improvement. It's going to be another 60 to 90 days. And in the meantime, we're going to sit here and, and deal with the market going, hey, really, all we can do is take the Fed at, at their word, which is higher for longer is what they continue to say. Right. right. And, and and here's another chart essentially showing you the same thing, um, just in a different, it's a bar chart uh, versus a line graph and just kind of gives you a better idea of where those numbers are. And you can kind of see 
like Josh mentioned, the last three months coming down considerably, especially from from the June numbers. I mean, we're, we're still considerably lower um, and getting closer to that Fed's target. Now, what the next slide I'm going to show you is something that we showed you a couple weeks back. Now, uh, this is uh, somebody that we follow, um, Barry Habib, and he was talking about what he expected from upcoming um, reports. And he put this out around the, the, the middle of January. Um, and, and we put this, you know, we kind of talked about this with you guys. And we, with that said, we came out here and we said, January is going to be a number when the, they, they report in February. You're not going to see likely any big changes in inflation. And it's because of, of how those numbers are calculated. And it, he said it there, that it's a high replacement on overall core, um, a low replacement on shelter, maybe hard to see meaningful, meaningful progress, which essentially is what happened. We saw progress. But nothing crazy, right? Wasn't to the expectation that they had. Now we go into February. Now the February numbers are going to be released on March uh, 14th. High replacements on both core and shelter should see inflation drop. So the next report we get should show more of a meaningful drop. And then we go back to the March numbers being released in April, kind of back to that, you know, not a lot of progress. And then as Josh mentioned, the April numbers in May, bigger progress. So just to give you some insight here, we're kind of telling you that this a couple of weeks ago, not that we had, you know, um, a lot of insight. We just read some and follow some people that that have um, the knowledge and we kind of, you know, we gave it to you guys. And um, I think we were probably as surprised as, as everyone else with how the market took it when the expectations, as you see here, were built in. But there we go. Josh, um, inventory. Let's talk about inventory nationwide. Inventory once again drops another three percent. We're down to four hundred and forty-three thousand four hundred and sixteen homes nationwide. That's as of Monday when this report comes out or, or this chart comes out. Um, guys, not good thing. You need property to come to the market. Orange County twenty-two eighty-six. That's less than last week. Again, Huntington Beach, where I am sitting, again about the same. Not seeing a lot there. This chart is a seven-day average, again, showing inventory is, you know, and this is comparing it to years past, kind of see the decline there in those numbers. Uh, inventory is not building at the moment, which is typically we start to see inventory start to build next around this time. So next week will be an interesting report to see if we see those numbers pop up at all. Right now, 58,000 new listings. That's 13,000 less than this time last year um, for the same week, week over week. Again, just supporting the narrative that inventory is going lower. Josh, talking about vacancies and rentals, um, so, sitting at the lowest levels we've seen in, in hell, yeah, I don't well, know, forever. Well, 25 years, essentially, here. Um, and you see, where did they? Where did both of those peak on this chart? In the last downturn, 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, but what it's telling us is we don't have enough housing. So when you have a lack of supply, even though demand is muted with prices high and interest rates higher than what people are used to, um, there's just not a, a recipe for a massive correction in prices like some people would want to lead you to believe. This is, uh, you know, it's a different look at it. It's talking about vacancies, how many homes, how many single family homes are sitting vacant. So when you look at that, it's about one, one and a half percent of homes. There's reasons why they sit vacant, people moving homes on the market to sell, but there just aren't, there's not, there's not a lot of slack in the market where we have a bunch of single family homes sitting empty or a bunch of apartments sitting empty. So we're talking about expecting moderation in apartment rents. But when we only have a 5% vacancy, um, 
landlords don't have a whole lot of incentive to lower those prices. I had a client this week actually came from the show, Jeb, and they were saying, well, how do I get out of my lease? It's not up till September. And I said, you tell me how you're going to get out. They, they have the leverage. You have a very strong contract written and worded in their favor. We talk about builders write contracts in their favor. When you have a big institutional landlord, your lease is written in their favor. Um, and they don't have a lot of incentive to work with you either on rents or, or any of that stuff. So um, we have low supply, still uh, a strong demand and need for housing, both rental apartments and single family residences. And it's just not a recipe for a decrease in prices. Yeah. And, and pr- I mean, I will say prices are, are moderating in some markets, right? The reports are showing that, but you're not seeing a decline year over year in prices. That's the thing, right? Prices are still higher than they were last year. They're just not going up at the same rate that they were, right? The rate, the deceleration has has taken place. Um, and if you look at some of the charts that calculated risk and some of these other people put out with regards to new constructions, new construction, rather, a lot of what they're building out there is apartments and multifamily units. And some of this stuff, when it becomes available and, you know, when it's completed, will help out with some of the lack of supply. But it's hard to say, like, what areas are they building this in? I can't say. We're talking to, you know, as somebody pointed out here in the, in the, in the chat, a nationwide audience here in Southern California in Orange County, not a lot of apartments um, being built based on, you know, the, the, the community as a whole here. Uh, but there are, I mean, they're going up. It's just, it's all at the moment, high density stuff. It's, um, it's just not, it's not being built as fast as, uh, well, I, I would say should be, but it's hard to keep up with, with, you know, the demand at the moment, just based on where we are. So it's not going to be a problem that solves itself overnight. Job postings, right? So you can see here total postings kind of declining there on that chart. Um, new postings up a little bit. So overall, job growth slowing or job openings slowing as a whole. Um, at the moment, it's not reporting in the numbers because it looks like job growth is super strong. I found this chart pretty interesting, Josh. Job stayers versus switchers. So the black line are the people that are staying on their job, and this is their year-over-year wage growth. So the people that are staying on their job, wage growth is flattening out a little bit. The people that left and went and got another job, a quote-unquote a better job, um, you saw wage growth increase quite a bit during that time. And, and since then, it started to slow and pull back a little bit, um, but still considerably higher than it was a year ago at this rate. And here we are looking at uh, shipping index, uh, Baltic index. Uh, what do you want to say about this here, Josh? No, it, it's just a good um, forward look at at inflation. Um, it was one of the big causes of inflation, uh, you know, supply chain constraints. Uh, it was really uh, difficult, time consuming and expensive getting goods to market. So we basically made a complete round trip here. We go back to August of 2020. So basically the very beginning of the pandemic, um, when we we're coming out of the lockdowns and people were trying to ship things or coming partially out of the lockdown. So when you look at that, um, it tells us this can be a recession indicator. We talked about many things that may be a recession indicator, could be a recession indicator, but it is absolutely showing that some costs, an important cost, an important component and element of what you pay for goods have normalized. You know, Jeb, when we were in the middle of this and we were near the top of that chart, I saw a number saying, hey, you go to Target and you buy a $400 TV, about $45 of that is the 
the the freight, the shipping of getting it here from wherever it was assembled and built in Asia. And that number went from $45 to like $100. So the prices of those had to go up because they're low margin items. It's not something that the, the seller can just absorb. Now we're seeing that it should be normalizing and the cost of getting those goods back to market is normal. Uh, and, and basically taking away that inflationary pressure. So we hope to see that continue throughout the rest of the year, uh, trickle down into the inflation numbers we see month over month. And with that, we should see the, you know, a, a large par uh, percentage of, of, uh, you know, things that, uh, went up in the last inflation numbers and, and the ones that were just reported Tuesday, a part of that was housing, right. And it had to do with, with rentals and, and, when those, uh, as we move over the next couple of months, those numbers should moderate um, substantially and should help bring those inflation numbers down. So just, you know, that along with, you know, freight and shipping and, and you know, supply chains working themselves out, hopefully um, follows what we think is going to happen. And that is uh, lower inflation. Uh, and this is talking about energy crisis, Josh, uh, versus, you know, seasonal average historically. So a couple of things, Jeb, uh, in the, the CPI report that came out this week, one of the things that stopped moving in our favor was the cost of gasoline. Gasoline was up a, a little bit month over month. And we've talked about fuel being the wild card. We don't know exactly how this is all going to play out. We've got um, the Russian oil off of the market for, for at least the Western world. And the expectation was their natural gas was going to be problematic for Europe. Europe got lucky in that we exported more to, uh, to Europe, other parts of the country exported more to Europe. So that dependence on, on Russian fuel um, didn't really trickle down. And they had a moderate winter, a uh, much more moderate winter than they normally have. So this worked out pretty well. Um, and it appears as though the market is kind of adjusting. But going forward, if we have a, a spike in demand for fuel and that goes up, that's something that the Fed cannot control. We've talked before about the difference between core CPI and headline CPI. Um, the reason why they strip uh, food and energy costs out is this stuff is difficult for governments to control uh, the demand of and to control the supply of. Here in the United States, we have more oil and more natural gas than we need, but we also have policies from our federal government right now that doesn't want to make that available. So we are choosing to have higher fuel costs than we otherwise need to. So that is a wild card to keep an eye on moving forward in terms of what can happen with inflation. If fuel costs unexpectedly rise, it will take inflation up regardless of what the Fed has done over the last year. All right, good stuff. And this is looking at mortgage-backed securities, uh, basically the drop-in or the, the increase in interest rates, if you will. Yep. So remember, this is the price of these bonds. So as prices go down, yields go up. The purple box there just shows us what happened over the last week. We're about a quarter of a percent worse, 0.25% worse in interest rates. Um, and if we look here on the next chart, shows you the opposite. This is, is bond yields, 10-year treasury bond yields. And we are up close to, to where we peaked uh, in December and back near where we were in, in November. So in looking at the 10-year increase over the last week from 360 to 382. That's 0.22. Mortgage rates followed pretty closely up about a quarter of a percent. 
The last chart, um, you guys have seen me talk about this one before. We've talked about the long-term spread between treasuries and mortgages is about 1.8 to 2%, 1.7 to 2%. Um, we had peaked in October back up at 2.99%. That number has been coming down fairly quickly. And the most recent number, and what this is, is the 10-year treasury yield versus the Freddie Mac primary mortgage market survey, which we, we talked about there's flaws in that methodology. But the most recent read we have on that, which is about a week, 10 days out of date right now, says we're down to about 2.49 spread. So we still have a half percent of improvement that we could have here without treasury yields coming down at all with just some normalization. But we've seen about a half of a point. We have probably another half of a point to three quarters of a point of improvement to come. So that's somewhat mitigating where treasury yields are kind of back to the levels or similar, just slightly below the levels that we saw in November, but mortgage rates are still significantly better. And what does that mean? Well, we'll get the questions start popping up here. And Jeff, what are rates? What are rates? What are rates? Well, well um, yeah, I mean, let's, let's start with this question from Big G. Big G says, how does inflation drop if, it, if the administration refuses to pump more oil to bring down prices? It's voodoo economics. Thoughts? fuel trickles down to everything. It's not just a cost for, for all of us, us in California here, uh, despite the fact that natural gas prices are are back down to very low levels for everywhere else in the country. My bill has not reflected that. No, not even close. Like we're looking at what, triple, quadruple what it was? Oh, yeah, last triple. Year? Yeah, triple for sure. Yeah. Yeah, my pool has had to remain unheated all winter. I haven't been able to go in my jacuzzi. I look at it and I go, "That's a pretty jacuzzi. I wish I could go in it." Bro, but I'm not, not gonna pay, I'm not going to pay sixty bucks to heat Yolo, it up. dude. Yolo, yeah, heat it exactly. So that that has not moderated um, gas for our cars. So what what do we know? We, the bill that comes every month for heating our house and the bill that we pay every time at the pump where you're putting gas in your car because for the most part that's not discretionary. You have to get to work. You can choose to not take a road trip or not drive around as much. But most of us, let's be realistic, 70, 80% of our driving is not discretionary. We have to get somewhere for a reason, to run an errand, to go to our job. So if we don't control fuel costs, it's going to be difficult. Now, we had saw that big spike last year after Russia invaded Ukraine, and it's since normalized. So that led to some of the better numbers in the fall for inflation as we had some of the big numbers fall off. But um, what, what happens going forward when we are choosing not to be energy independent? No. And, and with that said, I mean, like, you know, there's other things that go into inflation other than just oil, right? And transportation, right? There are other things that make it up. And yeah, yeah, prices in gas and, and that sort of thing trickle down to some of those other things. But inflation can go down even without oil prices going down. So just, you know, yeah, I get the idea of the voodoo economics thing of, of, of keeping it high because they're unwilling to do anything. But that's where we're at. Well, Wesley has a couple of follow-ups here. Aren't private companies responsible for how much oil they pump? Pump? Does the government own the oil pumps? They do not give leases and permits for running the fields and actually permitting it. So, yes, the government, our wonderful President Biden, loves to stand up and say they're they're not supplying the market and they're choosing to gouge the public. And the reality of it is they don't have the permits to actually pump and, and run the gas. It is a conscious decision by the government. They have decided we have to get off fossil fuels. So 
cool. We can debate that. We can agree with it. I think most people agree with it over the long haul. You don't get to go cold turkey when you don't have an option. It's not like you can say, hey, I'm going to stop eating chicken. I'm only going to eat steak when we don't have steak. There's not enough electricity, non-coal fired, non-natural gas fired electricity to run all the electrical cars, to have this, this clean energy. I mean, the answer that for some reason no one wants to hear is nuclear power. If we're also not permitting any nuclear power plants, there's answers out there, but there are, you know, certain special interest groups that have the ear of the government that say, this is the only way to do it. Well, guess what? Solar and wind don't provide all the energy that we need. So, you know, I'm, I'm fairly positive. You see two years ago, no one would say the word nuclear just a bad word around it. No one is, is going to even talk about it. And more and more people, even climate change groups, environmentalist groups are, are the reasonable ones are coming around to that is probably the best way to supply as much of our energy, energy needs as possible and make sure that we're not running, you know, coal, coal to, to produce electricity to run our electric cars. Well, you actually lost me like two minutes ago when you said we could eat steak all, all the time and not eat chicken at all. Only thought, if you that's it. a that's a fantastic idea. Just eat steak for every meal. Hey, why not? <laughs> anyway, you said something after that. I lost my train of thought. Uh, but John, John Doe is here this evening. John says, just got my home inspection license in Orlando. Is it safe to put my two weeks in and work for a big multi-inspection firm? Very hard job, uh, very hard, difficult question to answer. Uh, because you know. I don't know if it's safe or not. I, I don't know how busy they are. I will tell you, I had a home inspection this past week and my inspector shows up and he says, my two guys quit. It's me. I'm back by myself again, doing all these inspections. And so I would say if you're working with a big company that does a lot of business, then you're probably good. If you're working with a smaller independent guy, if the market goes sideways, you know, you know, and, and nobody buys homes at all, or there's no inventory for people to buy, it could become a problem. Um, with job security. So just make sure you got some money in the bank and uh, you understand the risk. Lazaro asks, why only California when you have viewers from everywhere? Please talk about other markets. So here's the thing is that we could talk about other markets, but I would just be reading a news headline, right? And there are YouTube channels out there that are built around just reading reading news. They don't really give you any context on on um, you know, what's actually happening in those markets. They just read the headline. I don't find any value in that personally. Um, so we know about California. We're here in Southern California. We read a lot on California. I'm selling real estate in California. So I can provide a little bit more context on what's happening around me and my clients. And, you know, I wouldn't say California leads the nation and, and everybody else follows, but if it's happening here, it's probably happening in other markets as well. Um, you know, outside of, of, you know, obviously everything's not going to be, be the same real estate is local, but you can take some of the stories and what's happening here and, and, you know, use it to your market. So when I say inventory is low here and I show you the nationwide inventory being low, it's low for the most part across, across the nation. So it's very, very difficult to talk specifically about a market and be a pro, if you will, um, in, in all of these different markets. I'm, I'm a pro here in Southern California, everywhere else. I can give you some news headlines, but you can go out there and, and watch those on any channel. Monica has a really good question here, guys. Um, and Josh, we have a really good answer for it. Uh, she says, <laughs> which box is it that we have to look at for the loan docs to check and see what the lender is charging? So Josh, if somebody had questions 
about the loan estimate, where would they find those those answers? Jeb got to listen to 40 enlightening minutes walking through every page and box on the loan estimate this morning. So next Tuesday, that will be available in the podcast. The short answer for this is box A. Box A are origination charges. So that's anything and everything that the broker and or lender are charging and that goes to them. So items that they may be charging or responsible for selecting like appraisal and credit report, but that you can't shop for, those go in box B, but they're not gonna vary a whole lot from lender to lender. So really what you wanna look at is what is my interest rate? What am I paying in box A for that? And I wouldn't even worry myself about what they're calling it. You'll see lenders will have five charges in there and say, we have an admin fee, a processing fee, an origination fee, an application fee. Jeff, we saw one last week that boggled my mind. Someone had an Encompass technology fee. That's my cost for the software that I have to have to process your loan. This lender thought that you should also pay for their technology to actually process your loan. But at the end of the day, it does not matter. Add them all up and call it points. Those are the points that you are paying for that interest rate. So regardless of what a lender wants to call them, add everything in box A. They actually do it for you on the loan estimate. There will be total origination charges. Look at the total for box A and the interest rate, and you can compare from one lender to the next. Now, that being said, Jeb, the thing we ended with on that podcast today is please, please, dear God, do not let that be your only criteria of the lowest bidder getting your loan. There's three pieces to it. Make sure you're working with someone that you feel is knowledgeable and has the expertise to guide you to the right loan program, walk you through the process, explain to you what's happening, what comes next and why. And then on top of that, that you have a good rapport with them and like dealing with them and you're not dreading their phone calls or worse yet, feel like they don't have time to talk to you or won't pick up the phone. Yeah. And, and just so, because I don't feel like it was, it was very clear. Uh, the podcast episode Tuesday is, is that deep dive, right? We provide a link to, to a loan estimate to give you to, so that you can look at it if you want to, to follow along as we go through the podcast, but it's 40 minutes taking a deep dive into everything on that loan estimate. What you need to know as a buyer, how to compare lenders, what you should look for, what you're, um, capable of shopping around, what, you know, you can't shop around what's kind of in stone, if you will. Uh, all of that. It, it's it's a really good episode. I'll say I, I learned things in in the episode uh, because it's been so long since I've looked at more than, you know, just a summary of of a loan estimate. So go check it out and uh, and and become that educated home buyer that we talk about so often. C6 Sammy. C6 Sammy became vested uh, in their company or is about to next month and has the down payment for the price range I want. Just need a realtor. So here's what I would say, Sammy. I'm going to put a link on the bottom of the screen. Let me know where you need a real estate agent or just click on that link or go to that link rather and put in where you need an agent. And I'm happy to refer you to somebody I know, like, and trust that can guide you through that process. So with that said, um, you're going to need a pre-approval too, right? So that's something that we're going to, uh, most real estate agents are going to ask you for. So if you don't need a, if you, need a lender in addition to a mortgage professional, make sure you check that. And if you guys are listening, you need somebody in another state, doesn't matter where it is, um, that link will get you there. So Josh, that's for C6 Sammy. I like that the name. Three times fast. Yeah, it sounds, sounds fun. It's so fun here's a question that's difficult to answer without knowing a little bit more. But Jay Homeboy says, what are America's top builders? So Josh, when you hear the word top, do you think best? Do you think the one that produces the most uh, property? What is top? What does top mean to you? 
So here's here's the fun part. You have the big national builders. Who are we talking about? KB Homes, um, Lennar, Toll, Toll DR Brothers, Lennar, DR Horton. Yeah. And those companies, this is funny, I almost compare this to mortgage. They actually have JD Power ratings for them. So you can find out, you know, how many complaints did they have? How do they resolve them? How are they rated on that? Um, you know, I know that they all have their own niches. Toll Brothers is known for sort of luxury homes, higher end. They're going to be more expensive, but nicer, different amenities. Um, but once you get outside of the big metropolitan areas, there are a lot of small local and mid-sized builders like in North Idaho, where my mom lives, there's a builder that no one has ever heard of that. That's the guy you want to build your house. He does an awesome job. He only builds about 12, 15 houses a year, but they're really nice. And when you go to resell, it'll sell for a premium because people know he does a good job, uses the best materials, the best subcontractors, and he stands behind his work. So very difficult to answer. Are you talking about hiring a guy one-off to build a house? Or are you talking about showing up to that already has attractive homes for the most part those four that we named um i don't know i haven't heard anything negative about any of them they all kind of have the same issues but you don't get that big uh without you know being fairly reputable but do you have any insights beyond that jeb not really i mean i, I will second what you said in that there's a lot of builders that are not the those mainstream builders that are great builders out there um and and here in orange county where we are you know there's not a lot of construction but there are homes going up all the time and in small infill developments and parts of the the great park and and what have you and you know some of these are are big builders for us locally here orange county but they're not nationwide builders so i would just say it's pretty easy to find out the reputation of of you know these places walk through the homes kind of see what you're you know the if you're looking at new construction talk to people that live in the communities it's it's really the best way to to get the information but if there's something more that you're asking with that question that we're not answering let us know in the comments. Uh, Willing is basically saying if you have uh, a HELOC with a zero balance, uh, do you have to take 0.05 of the limit balance and count that against the DTI? For this case, let's assume the HELOC is on a primary residence, not the subject property. So Josh, maybe explain that in a little bit more clearer terms because I was kind of reading and trying to Convey. Yeah, no, she's just just basically asking if someone has a home equity line of credit with a zero balance, do we have to account for the fact that they could borrow some money uh, against that and have a payment in the future? And unless we are using funds off of that HELOC, we do not have to. So if you, Jeb, if you go to, to buy a second home, buy a vacation home and you have a $200,000 HELOC on your home with a zero balance, and you're not using that, you have the down payment separate from those funds, we don't have to account for anything. That's now, if, I thought back in the day you had you, to. Correct. Yeah. And they no longer require no. that. Right. So um, I'm sure there are some types, there's probably some jumbo lenders that would require you to, some non-QM lenders, but Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, you don't. Now, the important part to remember there is if you are going to use those funds, say you're buying that second home and you don't have the down payment sitting in your bank account, you're going to borrow those funds, then we absolutely have to show what the payment is going to be on those. You're not going to use uh, you know, 5% of, of the limit. You're going to use whatever the actual payment is. So we would provide the note. Most HELOCs are, all HELOCs are interest only. So we're going to find out what's the current interest rate, what's the balance, multiply it by the rate times 12 months and use that for your qualifying payment. All right, good stuff. Uh, Rich has a question with regards to closing costs. Uh, builder is offering 3% towards closing costs. The loan estimate is showing that that 3% is going towards points, buying down the rate. Can I convert them to a 2-1 buy down or something else? I've already I've already locked the rate two weeks ago. So Josh, 
block the rate? Can you convert that to a different type of buy down? There's an important question here um, that you're not asking directly, but it's buried in that is when you lock your interest rate, you are locking to that day's rate sheet. You're not saying that I am going to take this interest rate. So if you want to pay points and get a lower rate, you can do that. Uh, with that day's rate sheet, if you want to take a higher interest rate and get a lender credit and use that day's rate sheet, you're locked to that day's rate sheet. Now, if you're locked on a conventional loan, you need to switch to an FHA or you need to switch to a jumbo, different loan programs likely going to different investors. And now you're going to go to the current pricing. Um, and some lenders will give you worst case pricing. If current is better, get the, the day that you locked. And if current is worse, you're going to get current. But what we're asking here is, can we then switch to a 2-1 buy down? As long as the lender that you locked with, locked it with an investor that also allows a 2-1 buy down, you absolutely should be able to convert to that, but there's no guarantee. So you're going to have to ask them. Um, and if they say no, you may need to push back and kind of get to a manager to at least confirm that it can't be done. Because I'm not saying it can't be done. Sometimes it can, the majority of the time it can, but sometimes it, it can't if the investor that your loan is locked with, that's guaranteeing that rate through your lock date doesn't offer a 2-1 buy down or puts it into a different pool, it may not be eligible, but you probably um, are able to do that. And it's kind of crazy that they're giving you 3% and it just automatically gets shoved into 3% for points. Why, why would you necessarily want to do that? You know, you could use a, a point to buy the rate down and use two points to cover your closing costs and come in with just your down payment. Um, and that should be totally up to you. And hopefully the builder's lender is at least guiding you through and showing you those options rather than just saying, nope, here's how we allocated your three points from the builder. Yeah. Uh, Ricardo says, closing on a single family home, San Diego next week. What are your thoughts on adding an earthquake insurance policy? Even if you have it and when would the cost and coverages even be worth it? So Josh, do you have earthquake insurance? I don't and had never really thought about doing it in the last Until three years. Your, your insurance company every year is required to send you out the offer of it. Um, and we just got one for one of our properties yesterday. And I'll tell you, and it might just be getting older and it might just be it's been so long since we've had a big earthquake. Yeah. For those of you in Southern California, if you drove through Northridge, shortly after that 1994 Earth, Northridge earthquake. Like, I, I think we underestimate. We go, oh, really, what's going to happen? I'm going to have some cracked drywall or this is going to happen. Like, houses just imploded, just gone. And no rhyme or reason. You know, five houses in a row, three of them destroyed, and two of them are, are just fine. So when you look at that, like, these are catastrophic failures. This isn't like, oh, I spend $80,000 and get my house put back together. It's I spend $350,000. You're not really selling the idea of not having it here, Josh. I, well, because I feel dumb because I look and I go, geez, they want $1,200 a year and it's a $10,000 or $15,000 deductible. And I go, well, if if there's enough damage, it's probably going to be a lot more than $15,000. And listen, I'm only going to be here for another, we went through this, Jeb, another 45 years. So that would be $45,000 plus my deductible to ensure that I never have to come up with three or $400,000 to rebuild my house. So the older I get, the more I think I should have it. But in my younger days, I gave it zero thought. Yeah, I, I don't have it either. Um, I don't know. I just figured if the earthquake is bad enough, for my house to go down that these insurance companies aren't going to be able to pay the premium anyway, because it's going to be that bad. Um, so I don't know. I don't have it. I think it's to each his own. Um, I knock on wood and, 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 you know, hope for good things for, for everyone here in in Southern California, anywhere that has earthquakes, especially after seeing, 
you know, the, the devastation that happened, um, in Turkey and, and clearly a different, different world, but, uh, wow, it's, it's crazy. So we don't really have a lot of information for you there. Um, it's kind of a personal preference. Uh, let's see. Um, Dina says Kyle from when the house you love mentioned a change in May, something about buy downs and higher versus lower credits changing. Have you heard of this or is this click bait? Our friend Kyle would never, never use clickbait. So uh, that I can tell you. And he also is a very honest, sincere person. So what he's talking about, and we've talked about this here on the show a couple of times, um, big changes to loan level price adjustments. Basically, we added three new tiers at the top. We used to tell you guys 740 and above credit score is going to get the best terms. Now there's a 740 to 759, 760 to 7. 79 and then the 780 and above um and depending on where you fall some of those groups are getting worse pricing than they were before um the only people that are really getting improvement are people with low credit scores and low down payments and if you say that sounds crazy it's because that's crazy our government decided that we should be um, charging well-qualified borrowers more to subsidize less well-qualified borrowers um, we, we definitely want to incentivize home ownership and make it as, as available to as many people as possible. This isn't the way to do it. So for the majority of people, first time buyers with a minimum down payment, unless you have spectacular credit, um, you're probably going to be looking at FHA having both lower cash to close and a significantly lower monthly payment after these changes. Good, good. Uh, let's see what we have here. Um, Pretty easy one. Kevin says to convert from FHA to conventional to get rid of the MI, the mortgage insurance, do I have to put 20% down and pay closing costs? So if you're refinancing, which is typically what you're doing, if you're coming out of that FHA loan, trying to get rid of the mortgage insurance, the only way you can do it with FHA is if you put 10% down originally, then it automatically falls off after year 11. But in which case you're going to conventional loan, you can use the equity in your property in addition to wherever you need to get um, to to that that twenty percent, um, so if you have ten percent equity in your property, then you essentially are bringing in the additional ten percent, if you will, to to get rid of mortgage insurance entirely um, and paying closing costs. You're gonna it depends on the lender, right? Some lenders might be charging you costs, some might not. Um, it just it all depends. Josh, anything you want to add on that? The closing costs are always going to be there. There's no way to close a loan without escrow, without title insurance, for the most part, without an appraisal, without a credit report. They are there. The issue is, are you paying them directly with some of your equity? Are you paying them by taking a slightly higher interest rate? If we say there's a zero point rate on any given day, it's a rate that the lender doesn't charge any points for and doesn't give you any credit for, you would be paying those closing costs. In, in general, the rule of thumb is for every quarter percent higher in rate, you get a 1% credit from the lender. So if we say closing costs are two to $3,000, that's about how much you have to move up on the $250,000, $300,000 loan. For us in Southern California, most of the loans are big, $500,000, $700,000. And those loans generally only take about an eighth of a percent premium and in interest rate to do them no cost. Good stuff. Um trying to find some good ones. Uh, VR Watch says, do you know why Redfin is hiding the price history of houses that were bought pre-pandemic and up for sale post-2020? Do they want buyers? Don't they want buyers to know the original price? I honestly don't know. I, I don't know anything about 
<clears throat> Redfin and the way their price history works. Um, if yeah, so I would say go to Zillow. Um, last I looked, Zillow still showed the price history. Pretty easy to find out there on the internet just by typing in a property address and um, and pulling that info. But I don't know why they did or if that's actually um, the case for all properties. I just know some states, <clears throat> for example, are non-disclosure states, and so that information doesn't populate regardless uh, of what site you're on. Uh, but if it did before and it doesn't now, then obviously they've changed it. Maybe sometimes you got to just click another tab to be able to get that info. So it, it's public records. And to my knowledge, anything I've ever looked at at Redfin, if the property, if the information is available from the public records, it's automated. They're pulling it. They're showing it. They have no incentive or reason to not show it. Um, you know, it's a little known fact in California as an investor, you used to be able to hide on on your transfer uh, tax what you exactly you were paying so it wasn't necessarily public records on the deed what you had paid for the home can't do that here anymore but there are states like idaho that jeb said it's non-disclosure you couldn't find out if you wanted to what someone else paid for a home exactly uh katrina <clears throat> is asking why you need an agent on a new home <clears throat> and the primary reason for that uh katrina is you know Builders, like take, for example, there's some articles um, on builders in, I believe it was in Texas that were building homes so fast and just leaving, you know, they were having major problems after the fact because the builder just, I wouldn't say skipped steps, but just did things so quickly that um, they weren't, you know, doing quality work, if you will. And so, you know, when you do uh, buy new construction, typically speaking, the agent in there that is representing the builder is representing the builder. Um, so, so take that as their, the builder is their primary um, interest, if you will. And so they're probably not recommending home inspections because they're probably selling the idea that you're buying a new house. Why do you need an inspection? This sort of thing. Uh, when in fact, I would get, I would get an inspection on new construction. In fact, I bought a new construction property back in 2006 and, and got an inspection on it. And the reason for that is because you know, these builders, they, they go through properties and they, typically they, they have more than one home they're building. And so they, they miss little things here and there. And you just want to make sure that, you know, all the outlets work and the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, that sort of thing. And so by having an agent for one, obviously an inspector, you could get an inspector without an agent, but going back to the agent question is contracts, right? The builder, again, Josh mentioned this earlier, builders, when, you know, their contracts are written to protect them, the builder, right? When you buy a home, say, for example, here in the state of California, you're using a general contract, right? The residential purchase agreement. It was written by attorneys to protect sellers, to protect buyers, to protect the agents. All parties are essentially protected in these documents. Well, what happens is when you go buy new construction, these documents are written to protect the builder. Right. And so what you need is an agent that understands these builders and understands the contracts can point you in the right direction of what to look for, how to negotiate some of this stuff and really has your best interest in mind um, outside of 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 the builder, if you will. Right. And so it's just and it doesn't cost you anything to do it. Right. The builder is paying that agent and therefore it's it's I would say free to some extent um, in order to have that person represent you. So it's worth your time. Well, Jeb, we got a follow-up question yep. where, it's, where it's not free. Kartik says, Lenar is explicitly saying they'll not pay realtor fees for new homes. Is this normal? Here's the deal. Um, builders go through these these things all the time, basically saying we're not going to pay builders, uh, agents. And, what, and, and they do that in good markets, right? When they have 
um, you know, a shortage when there's a supply demand imbalance in a market, like a lot, like we saw the last couple of years, new builders didn't want to work with agents because they didn't want to pay that commission. They wanted to keep the money themselves. And in, in a lot of markets, they didn't need to, because people were just going to them directly. And they, that, that was, that was the choice, right? There, there weren't a lot of other properties to choose from. Well, as the market changed, it slowed down. Guess what? Builders started sending emails. Builders started calling. Hey, listen, we're willing to work with you again. We're willing to not only offer you commission, but offer you more than what is typical in our area to bring in buyers. So I would say Lennar probably is working with agents in markets that have slowed down. Now, I don't know what markets um, where new construction is absolutely thriving still to the point where they're saying we're not working with agents. Uh, but it does happen. Um, I would just say, you know, they, they always reach out when they need us. Uh, and, and I think we're headed probably with new construction in a lot of markets. Second half of this year, they're going to need you or need us rather. Uh, Pulte, Pulte, a good builder. I think it's a lot kind of falls under that same scope that we mentioned earlier, Josh, you know, big builders out there that we mentioned Pulte, I think is, is kind of falls in line with them outside of, of knowing the name and knowing that they build a lot of homes. I don't know, you know, how, what their reputation is outside of that. Any, any, any indication there? I don't have any insights, but Bill D says Pulte is considered a good builder in Arizona. So at least in that market, Bill believes they have a, a solid reputation. Uh, I don't have anything to add other than, you know, any of these big national lender or builders. Um, they don't get that big by accident and by being meatheads and taking advantage of people. There you go. Um, I'm, I'm just reading some some questions here. Maddie says he wants to get his real estate license and be like you. Jeb. Oh, buddy. What, what would be what would be the Jeb starter kit or the the training program to become Jeb like? <laughs> wow. Um, run, 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 run from the hills, guys. I'm jealous of the people here. I'm 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 deflecting. I'm jealous of all the people that I worked with back in like 06 through 08, 09 when the market crumbled and they went out and got different jobs and are doing like really cool things today. And I'm still selling real estate. I love my job, but I'm envious of some of those people. Like one of my buddies, I mean, he's just crushing it in like the medical device world and all this stuff. And I thought I could have been that guy. I could have been doing what he's doing, but no, I chose to put myself in the same position. And here I am. No, um, it's a good job. Uh, you don't want to be like me though. You could be better. How's that? But thanks, Matt. Uh, let's see. I, Andy I has a good question. Uh, right. in my first full year tax year, could you explain mortgage interest tax deduction? We ran uh, a simulation and it said 12 K tax return. What did I do wrong? So what they're asking here is when you have a mortgage, um, a percentage of the interest that you pay on that mortgage is tax deductible along with some potential other items. Uh, Josh, can you answer the question there and what they did wrong? So I don't know. There's no. There's not enough information here to tell you why twelve thousand would be wrong. You didn't tell us why you think twelve thousand is the wrong answer. What happens? What is deductible is your mortgage interest and your property taxes. So post Donald Trump uh, 2018 tax changes, you are limited to uh, $10,000 of state and local taxes. So if you have uh, a high property or a high state income tax, like us here in California, 
for me, for the most part, my property taxes are not deductible because I already hit that $10,000 deductibility cap with my state income tax. So I can't deduct the property taxes in areas with no state income tax and lower property taxes. You may get a benefit from that as well. So in essence, what you're saying is how much interest did I pay in the year? How much property taxes did I pay? Um, up to um, $10,000 total combined with my state income taxes. And that is going to be my itemized deduction on my schedule A. So the big question here is you're saying we, we ran a simulation. So that tells me that you're married. So um, two spouses have a $24,000 standard deduction. So let's use some simple numbers here. Let's I thought say it went up this year, didn't it? Did it? I don't know. Is it, is it, is it more? I thought it was 26 now. I, I don't know. I might be wrong. I might be let's, wrong. let's say it was. It was yeah. $24,000. So yeah. let's say you bought a, a house with a $400,000 mortgage at 4% last year. You would have paid $16,000 in interest. Let's say you paid another $5,000 in property taxes. That's $21,000 of itemized expenses. It doesn't even meet the standard deduction that you get for not doing anything, not taking the time to itemize everything and give it to your tax preparer and, and complicate uh, the job. Now, if you had $12,000 of other itemized deductions that you were not claiming because they didn't meet the threshold of 24,000, well, we add that to the 21 and now we're at $33,000. We've got another $9,000 of valid deductions that would decrease your taxable income by $9,000 to save you three or $4,000 in taxes. So really, who has helped um, people that are with higher interest rates now and people with bigger loans, five, six, seven, $750,000 loans, because those changes also capped mortgage interest to the first $750,000 of mortgage debt. If you have $750,000, you took it out last year at 6%, you paid $42,000 in interest. And that's a pretty big uh, deduction above and beyond the standard deduction, regardless of what happens with property taxes. So it, it comes down to your individual situation. Are you single? You married? How big is your loan? What is your interest rate? Are you in a high tax state, high uh, state tax uh, state? And how does that uh, affect the deductibility of your property taxes? And it did. It went up to 25.9 for joint um, and for, for 2022 filing. So with that said, guys, we're not CPAs. We're not tax advisors. We're not accountants. Seek one out if you have tax advice or tax questions, you need advice on taxes, all of that good stuff. We just... You know, we play that part here because why not? Why not? We don't have enough jobs. So on the side, Josh plays a accountant. The the piece that Fun. we just explained is very simple, but there's 9,000 things that can complicate that in the background. And that's where a CPA comes in uh, of yeah. knowing all of the different things about your specific tax situation. There you go. Good stuff. Um, Josh, let's say... Is there, what's the best way about finding mortgage insurance in case something happens and I can't work? Is there, what, what is mortgage insurance, Josh? Because if you lose your job, mortgage insurance isn't paying that. So no, it? what he's asking about a different type of mortgage insurance. You think in terms of private mortgage insurance, similar. So he's, you're thinking in terms of private mortgage insurance that the lender makes you get to protect them in the event that you default on the mortgage. As soon as you get a loan and the loan closes, you're going to get mounds of junk and crap showing up in your mailbox because they now know you have a mortgage and you may need some of these services. One of them is mortgage disability, mortgage life insurance. And they're, they're different things, but they'll pitch both. What I would say is if you have standard disability insurance, 
you don't need mortgage disability insurance. If you have standard life insurance, you don't need mortgage life insurance because they are expensive, more expensive than standard disability insurance. And they're only going to do one thing for you versus giving you a check every month that you're disabled and you figure out how to pay your bills. They're paying your mortgage. Or if you pass away, it's paying off your mortgage versus giving your loved ones a lump sum of cash to choose what is best for them at that moment. So it's too expensive and they dictate what happens with it. So really all it is is disability insurance. So if you get a mortgage and you're now concerned, hey, if something happens to me, how am I going to pay my mortgage? Get standard disability insurance that would pay you more than enough each month to make your monthly payment. Good, good. Uh, let's see. Maddie, Maddie's confused. He says step one in the Jeb starter kit is to hit the gym. That's all. That's step number one in life, bro. You gotta hit the gym. The gym's important. It's at four at four a.m. with Jeb. Is no, that the, the just time whenever. Like I've been going to the gym early since I was in college. Like I would stay out late and go hit the gym at like five thirty in the morning, and it's just been been there ever since man you got to get the day started right? that's that's the jeb starter kit party all night workout first thing in the morning the partying all night is gone my friend i'm in bed by nine o'clock so if, if that's all night then uh hey listen follow along I, I can teach you a lot of things i can teach you how to sleep solid from the time you put your head down on the pillow i'm out in like five seconds there's no anxiety there's nothing to think about out and i wake up in the morning that's good that's how you start your day man it's good so, stuff. Jeb, we did such a good job of giving tax advice. We have a, a follow-up tax question. Victoria wants to know, does interest or my second mortgage count as tax deductible? So this one, this one, you absolutely want to talk to your tax preparer. So a second mortgage, a HELOC or a second mortgage on your home can be deductible, but you have two different things. You have um, acquisition indebtedness, which is the loan to buy the home. And then, um, boy, why am I going to forget what it's because there's acquisition indebtedness and I forget what the second one is, but it's limited. Um, it's limited and that can be subject to the alternative minimum tax. So that's an area. The answer is it can be. There's not a yes or a no on this. It can be. It probably is. Talk to your tax preparer about your specific situation. All right. Good stuff. Um, let's see. Uh Purchase my house with your guidance. Thanks. Now on to second. Any tips? Um, tips? No. I mean, just find out where you want to be, what it is you want to own. Um, is it an investment property? Is it uh, a second home? Now now you want to buy something else? I mean, I think, you know, if it's an investment property, it's all about saving money and and finding out, you know, where you want to be, cash flow, appreciation, those things are where I'd focus on. Uh, but the down payment uh, has to be there on a second home purchase uh as an investment more so than than say your first because of you know what the lenders require so outside of that not a lot of advice um i think it's just figuring out what you want making a goal and and going and getting it my, my advice would be too late now that she already owns the home i would say buy the first home with the thought of it being your first rental way easier for you to move on and buy a new primary residence and convert that to a rental yeah. than it is to convert the rental. Now, if it just doesn't work and it's not a good rental for whatever reason, totally get it. Or if you love it and it's your dream home and you're like, ah, I'm not converting this to a rental, I'm going to go buy a cheaper home to rent out. Totally understand. But if it makes sense, um, think in terms of acquiring your first home and later converting it to a rental. So find something um, that is is going to be attractive to renters that you buy for yourself. Good stuff. Uh, Orange Pulp has more of a comment here, but I think it's, I mean, something that, you know, I, I, 
Josh and I, I mean, I think we both believe in it without ever talking about it. Really, is had to make a call. Just renewed my lease for another year. Going to buy March 2024, hell or high water. Not really a question. So we're not here saying that you have to buy a house now. Um, we're here to give you the education to buy a house when it's the right time in your life, right? For some people on here, it might be for a couple of years. And that's okay. It's okay to rent. Like, I don't think we say that enough. Like, we don't talk about renting enough. There's nothing wrong with renting if it's that point in your life when you're a renter uh, and, and you're preparing yourself to be able to buy and doing the things you need to do. And maybe you're not even there yet. Maybe you're just figuring out what it is to buy a house. That's okay, guys. Um, you know, nobody, most people didn't just decide to buy a house one day and then own a house the next day. It takes some time, some education. And if you're here, you're you're taking the right steps. So congrats. The, the other thing about that, Jeb, is... 100%. We, we both agree that everyone, most everyone, probably not everyone, 90, 95% of people should become homeowners over a lifetime. It's deciding when in your lifetime that's right. You had said, you know, a month or two back that Dave Ramsey has a saying that renting is is buying you, is it buying you options, buying yourself buying you time, patience. Patience. buying you patience. So you're buying patience. And I, I've always said that 2020, 2021, prices were going up rather rapidly. Rates were really low. We're like, if now may be the right time for you, jump into the market. Um, don't Don't put it off and miss this opportunity. We're at a different point right now. Um, prices are not rapidly appreciating. Interest rates are elevated, likely to improve, not likely to get much worse from here. So you have time to decide when that entry point is right for you. So certainly no problems with this thought process. All right. It is that point uh, in the show where I'm going to ask that if you find any value at all, we answered your question. Um, you found us for the right first time, you like what you hear, you hit the thumbs up, uh, feel free to subscribe to the channel, stay updated, everything real estate related. Uh, we're here every Wednesday. So if you know, you're just catching us now, jump in next Wednesday, uh, and be here early five o'clock. We're here from five to seven, uh, mostly every week. We take this episode, we transcribe it, uh, take the audio with, if you will, and put it on the podcast every Friday. So on the educated home buyer podcast, Tuesday, you have a new episode Friday. You have essentially the audio from this on the podcast so that you can listen to it uh, without having to watch our faces. Probably better for most of you guys out there. And uh, so there's that. So if you're finding any value at all, hit the thumbs up. If you're on the podcast, rate us, review us, give us information. Uh, you know, it all helps the algorithm out and essentially helps us get in front of more people which is ultimately the goal here. Jeb, the insult used to be you have a face for radio. Um, mm -hmm. I think now they say we have we have faces for podcasting. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, Audio-only podcasting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No video. Uh, <laughs> Dina says, uh, how tall are you, Josh? How tall are you? Six, four, six, what are you? You're trying to shortchange me here. Six five. Six, six five. It was basketball six six, which means with um two pairs of socks and shoes, you could pass for six <laughs> six. So legit. Jeb's six, a five. measly five eleven. Just just always wanted to be six feet. No, I didn't really, but hey. He know. used to have the spiky hair and he would say, Well, it would help. five five eleven. My kids swear spikes. I'm five nine. They they tell me every day they're like, <laughs> Dad, you're five you're five nine. I'm like, okay, dude. Your mom's maybe five nine. I'm not five nine. Anyway, five, five, eleven, and, and six, five. There we go. So, has the, have the doctors measured your kids' joints and told you how tall they should should grow to? 
you know, they, I don't know that they give you a height. They kind of give you a percentage on where they stand, like based on their age, like what percentile they're in. And my youngest is by far the tallest. He's really, he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's at this age. Cause we have a chart that we measure him on that at this age, he's about an inch and a half to two inches taller than any of the other boys were at this age. It's crazy. He's, he's a big kid. Like when people see him, they're like, I can't believe he's only four. So we'll I, th- I thought it was just the mullet. It didn't. It didn't really. No, the mullet's gone, bro. Mullet I is know, gone, I, and I'm disappointed. He looks fly. Now. He looks fly now. We couldn't. We were gonna go for the mullet contest in Florida. They have, and we just couldn't wait. They didn't have a date online. I couldn't do the mullet anymore, so we had to cut it. All right. Anyway, All right. That's where we're at. Did he ever ask for? It, or did you guys just torture him with it? No. It was. It was us giving him what he needed. Yeah. It may may have been me. Feeling like I missed that opportunity in life and um, really wanting it. So, therefore, I, I put it on him. Jeb, we're, we're moving along, guys. Jeb, we have a comment here, and I, I, I want to put this up here. There's not really a question, but I'm going to, like, double down on this. Mm-hmm. Joe Suarez has bought a house in Hesperia. I work in San Dimas. It's a miserable drive every single day, hour and a half to two hours going home. We talk about everyone should become a homeowner. Um, there are sacrifices that are worth making. I can tell you, I have had two different clients make this decision to go out into the, the desert, Victorville, um, Hesperia, and commute into Orange County, which is even worse than the commute to San Dimas, and gave up on it within a year, sold their homes. They were lucky that they bought at times when prices were going up, um, but that's no joke. Like If you're thinking of commuting and there's traffic or distance, please do the the drive three, four, five times at rush hour at your commute time before you commit to that. Um, because this is no joke. Like, I don't know that I've ever had any buyers with more buyer's remorse than the people who had got themselves locked into a horrible commute. No, it, it, it's true. I mean, I tell people all the time, you got to live where you want to live, right? I mean, and if that means you don't own a house, then I think that means you don't own a house. Um, rent. Rent in that market, buy a house out of state. Something I've been talking about a lot lately. If you can't buy a house, if you can't afford to purchase a house in the area that you want to live, you have two options. One is that you're a renter forever. Secondly, you buy a property in a state where property where where uh, real estate is a little bit more affordable and you have a renter in there that pays your mortgage and you get the benefits of, of owning real estate long-term. Is that for everyone? No, it's not. But I can tell you miserable drives, living, being in traffic, just, it sucks. Like you don't want to deal with that. Um, so just locality, like being whatever that means to you should be really in high up on that list. One or two. So, Hey, he did find the silver lining at 6 PM, just coming into Upland on the 210 freeway jam packed, listening to you guys, at least I get to listen to you. So that's a good thing there. You found the silver lining. That's the, important well, hey, in that case, you should keep that house, Joe. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> commutes. Everyone should commute for two hours. As uh, long as uh, you can like the show, as long as you can hit the like button while you're driving, then, then commute. Uh, good, good. Um, uh, minister. Hey, He's in Augusta. Is it a good time to sell my house? You know, the Masters is coming up in about two months. Probably some people out there looking at real estate. You probably want to do it shortly after the Masters. After people have been in Augusta, they get to see the beauty of the area. It's not super hot in in, in April. I'm being facetious with all of this. Um, I don't know. Talk to an agent in your market. Find out, you know, when the best time is. Uh, but I have to believe uh, because of the amount of people that come into town uh, within that 
that week stretch uh, before and after probably, you know, that's around the time that that house should probably be on the market because it's the spring and because you have a lot of uh, a lot of visitors out there. Jeb, so. we haven't got to use our favorite question back to uh, a questioner here recently. Sell and do what? Why yes. are you selling? Please tell me you're not selling because you're convinced this is the peak and you're going to buy back in at a lower price. Hopefully you have a, a good direction, a good plan in place that does not involve you being the perfect timer of the market and buying back in uh, at a lower price. Um, Jeb, we have yep. two amazing questions here that I'm, I'm just stunned and amazed. Oh boy. Dina is completing her dating profile here and has now informed us that she is female, single in the Northeast and four, all of four foot 10. So that's, that's, that is mind boggling to me. I believe I am taller than you sitting in this chair. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm a good bit taller than four ten sitting in the chair. That's mind boggling. Yeah, my neighbor, my neighbor's like five one. And like, I see her so much now that it, I, it doesn't even register to me that she is five one, but then I think four ten, like whole cow. Wow. That's yeah. That's, that's, that's tiny. that is tiny. So for you gentlemen in our dating program who like their ladies on the short side, we now have the leader in the clubhouse. Now, second, amazing question, Jeb. Kevin says, Jeb and Josh what? have a podcast? Who oh, doesn't boy. know? I thought the podcast was world famous and there were millions of listeners. And Kevin Not somehow, mm -hmm. hey, show, show him your t-shirt. Show him your t-shirt. Oh, yes, here. Here you go. It's the Educated Homebuyer podcast available on all podcast platforms. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Amazon. You might Music. be able to find the videos on YouTube. Might be able know. to find the videos on YouTube. There may be another channel for you to like and subscribe to if you really like us. But um, just saying that, yes, we have a podcast. And the, there's, I was going to say, it's different than this because we take a deep dive on a topic. Yeah, it's not this at all. This minutes. is, yeah, this is, this is uh, a little looser for one. Um, this is covering a lot of stuff. That is very specific. That is like, if you want to become an expert in something, that's really it. I mean, honestly, like I'm, I'm not tooting any horns here. I'm just saying it's too professionals talking about their industry in detail every single week so all right jeb, that that being uh, said yes. if you miss a, if you miss an episode jeb does post the, the these lives every friday as well so you can get caught up there you go there you there you go um josh any thoughts on the new loan adjustments um that we mentioned earlier in the show that are happening loan level price adjustments that are happening is that going to affect investment properties again because they had we, we previously changed the the non-owner occupied llpas and jacked them to the roof where you are highly incentivized to put at least 25 if not 30 percent down there's not a huge change to that if any change um it's just going to be additional adjusters for not having 800 credit scores so it'll make it worse i don't think it's going to make a huge impact above and beyond what they already did like i don't know that most people are aware um, I'm going to pull it up and make sure I'm not misspeaking here, but the loan level price adjustment for a 20% down non-owner uh, occupied property is kind of absurd, like four points, something like that. Um, so to put it in context, in a normal market, yeah, let's go investment property, 80%. Uh, so 20% down is a 4.125 hit. If you are otherwise perfect and have That's no crazy. other hits, it's four points. That oh, says... Yeah, yeah. In a normal market where you're getting that uh, four to one buy up where to, to get a point, you would go up 
a percent uh, to get four points, you would go up a percent. So every quarter percent would get you one point. So if it's six percent to get an owner occupied, it would be seven percent. Well, right now, lenders aren't paying up for those higher note rates. So people are shocked. They call me up. Yeah, I want to buy an investment property. I got 20 percent down. I'm like, OK. And you tell them, OK, it's seven and a half and you're going to pay a point and a half. And what? That's crazy. And you're like, well, it is crazy, but that's the new normal. Yeah, agreed. 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 Um, let's see here. Uh, I'm just going through some questions here. Going to click on a couple more com of more commute comments. Commuting from Sacramento to San Francisco every yeah, day. It's horrible. I, I don't recommend uh, that. Huntington Beach to Santa Monica daily. Trying to move my business closer. And, and Richard's on a motorcycle, I believe. Richard's I on a motorcycle. Right That's better though. You, I mean, if no, you don't I, die, it's better. Yeah. If you, yeah. The one caveat. Um, small, small caveat uh let's see anya is same here educated homeowner now thanks jeb and josh so congrats to you uh we jeb. typically see we typically see these people here for a couple years and then they buy the house and they disappear anya right now loyal Never. loyal to us like lego was and then lego got a new job dissed us and here we are today jeb the more amazing thing than her being here for years and becoming an educated homeowner 411 and a half. We have another sub five foot listener. Yes. Maybe that's our specialty, bro. Maybe that's it. We need to find all of the, the sub five foot ladies and that want to buy. Maybe we're so loud that if you're tall, it sounds like we're yelling, but if you're down lower, it just sounds normal. I like it. I don't know. Uh, uh, this was a question. Mr. Huerta Morales. I'm not sure. Esau. 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 Uh, says strange question, but if you buy a second home with, it doesn't matter the down payment, can I park a trailer and live on it on site while renting the home? I think in some areas of the country, you could probably do that. Um, some areas of the country, you're not going to be able to do that, right? Because of, of local, um, you know, ordinances, zoning laws, building codes, whatever. So you just need to know what it is in your market, right? If you try to do that in Huntington beach, it's not going to happen. Uh, but in parts of the country, like if you live in the country, eh, probably nobody cares, right? Just do what you want. It's your land. You do whatever you want to on it. So check the local co codes and, and figure out what is uh, is doable and not. Josh, is there a way to pull yourself off harassment list? Quote, unquote, harassment list. When you close on a loan, everybody in the world wants to reach out to you um, and sell you something. Is there a way to get off those? I don't think you can for for mail. Um, actually, there's there is some type of registry that you can get on to not get junk mail, but it's not like the do not call. The do not call and then opt out pre-screen is is a big and important one. If you've ever applied for a loan um, and as soon as the lender pulls your credit, you get 9,000 phone calls and then you call and yell at them like why they gave away your information. We didn't give away your information. We have to pull it from the credit bureaus. The credit bureaus have a profitable business in, in terms of not just overcharging us for your credit report. They then turn around and sell your data to call centers who can call and harass you and will tell you they can get you better terms without even knowing what terms you have, but they will always be able to have better terms. They don't know what that is and what that means, but they will always offer it to you. So go to opt out pre-screen, get your phone numbers, any and all phone numbers. I have three different phone numbers. They are all registered on that list. So you don't get phone calls. Um, register on the national do not call registry. And let me, while Jeb's answering another question, dig in and see if I can find the same for direct mail. Um, if there's a direct mail, do not solicit list. But um, the National Do Not Call Registry and opt-out pre-screen would be your two first steps. 
All right. Uh, Andre is asking lender or broker first uh, for a first time homeowner. Uh, it depends. I mean, if you go to a good lender, a quality lender, they're going to basically refer you to a broker. Um, I'm sorry. They're going to refer you to a lender anyway, right? Um, if you start with the lender, um, then they might try to refer you to a, a realtor. But either way, you need to have the pre-approval in place. Um, so, you know, often have people reaching out to me saying, Jeb, I want to purchase a home. My first question is, have you been pre-approved? If the answer is no, we're making that referral back to the mortgage lender to have that conversation. Because ultimately, we can't do anything until we know, for one, that you can actually purchase a home to how much you can purchase up to the pre-approval amount. Um, and that helps us with down payment and everything that we're going to need in order to to write offers and and, and purchase property. So really, the, the first conversation is with a lender. Um, but if you start with a real estate agent, which is completely okay, just understand they're probably going to refer you back to a lender to start. So Jeb, I was reading the question differently. You very well may be right. I'm saying lender or mortgage broker for a first time ah, homeowner. So are you thinking bank or broker? Yeah. Also a really good question. I'm going to tell you, check with as many sources as you want. Use three criteria. Terms are important. You want someone that has good terms. I would not go with the lowest bidder. I get calls from people all the time, very late in the process of how much they regret choosing the lowest bidder. I have someone who's listening to the show right now that I get a text every three days asking me questions because the guy who's doing their loan incredibly cheap either won't or can't answer their questions. And I finally had to say, I'm not getting paid for this loan. I can't continue to, to help walk you through this. So terms are important. Knowledge and expertise are equally important. And then on top of that, rapport, your ability to talk freely with them, get your questions answered, feel, feel comfortable. So look for someone that all three of those are in line, that they're offering you good terms, they're knowledgeable, they, they have expertise, and they have a good rapport and you feel comfortable talking with them. Um, that being said, if you have the question, start with a broker. And if you don't like the terms, talk to a, a direct lender. We have another question in here, Jeb. I'm not sure exactly where to hear this. Garrett says, what's your experience with schools first credit union as a lender in the SoCal OC area? Most of the time we can beat their terms, but I will never tell someone just out of hand, hey, I'm, I'm going to have better terms than that. Because there are times um, credit unions have been much more competitive here in the current market, especially when they're holding and, and keeping their loans. So if you have the question, check with both, check with a broker, check with the, the credit union. The thing with any credit union, their loan officers are not career expert loan officers. They are credit union employees who've been trained to work through your loan process. It's going to be very different than working with someone who is an expert lender, but if the terms are beneficial enough, it can make sense. But uh, again, check with a couple of sources. So that way you at least know you don't have this voice in the back of your head going, could I do better? Should I be doing better? And if you only talk to one person, you don't have a frame of reference. You could think, hey, that guy really seems to know what he's talking about. You talk to another lender and you go, wow, everything that guy said was wrong. And I say guy, guy or girl. I have some friends, one of my good friends in the business does like three times more than any man I know in the industry. So um, doesn't matter, male, female, um, guy, girl. Talk to a couple different sources and just see how you feel and what your comfort level is with them. Uh, Tisha Tisha says, uh, is buying a lot considered a second property? No, um, a lot is buying a lot. Um, most people, lots are very hard to finance. Um, you know, there are banks out there that will do it, I believe, with large down payments. But a lot of times you're buying a lot, probably buying it cash. Um, and therefore, it doesn't really matter what you're classifying it as. But um, if you're getting a loan, it's, it's going to be a lot. Jeb, yep. I'm I'm disappointed to find that Richard Pandy 
no motorcycle anymore. Building I leased for my plumbing shop was closed and forced to leave. Commute in my giant work truck every day now since August. No fun, my friend. Sorry to hear that. Safer, much safer though. So but now yeah, we, we don't your have life worry. is 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 no longer in question as it was prior to this. So especially hearing Josh and I, so you had to <laughs> you had to focus on what we were saying. <laughs> let your brain process that and focus on you know riding the line there. Um, and, and trying to not get hit by these uh, these morons that drive on the streets here in California. So um, you're you're in a much better position. Uh, Mr. Veester Baxter wants to compare 2019 sales with 2023 or January 2022 compared to 2023. Um, what is it that you want to compare? Um, they're down. Yeah, 2022 yeah, I mean, was basically uh, at, at an all-time You peak. also have a lot less inventory than you had in 2019 um, in most markets out there. In fact, probably in all markets out there for the most part um, in 2019. 2022, you definitely have uh, more inventory than you likely had in those markets, but less sales because of higher rates. So um, I don't know that there's any, you know... Um, you know, reason to compare the two um, other than, I mean, you're, you're focusing on what's happened and not what's going to happen at that point, but uh, focus on inventory. Inventory is going to be a key indicator as to what happens with the market. And at the moment, we're not seeing any inventory. Uh, rates also a factor. If rates go up, um, you know, and stay high, then obviously that's going to bring um, transactions and prices down too. But uh at the moment, it's, you know, I think inflation will improve in the next couple of months, which hopefully interest rates follow. Hey, Jeb. Yep. John Pham has joined the show. Guess what he said? <laughs> the other old guy is on. He's clearly, <laughs> I mean, since this is Jeb Smith channel, I assume he's always talking about you as the other old guy. Ah, yes. Yes. You know, and when he's saying other, I do. he's talking by himself as an old guy. Uh, oh, he and is an old guy other and old I'm guy. the other old guy. Yeah. John's old. I mean, I don't know. John's got to be. Clear right. uh, anyway. Um, Darren have? wants to know if there should be old guy number one and old guy number two instead of Jeb and Josh. That's I don't fine. Think, I don't it's think that's nice. I, I don't take offense to any of that. Uh, what is the best option? Buy a one acre land for 100K, build a $600,000 house, buy a $600,000 new construction house with a builder, or buy a 15-year-old house or a greater than 15-year-old house uh, from a seller. I think each has their advantages um, as to what you're trying to accomplish. Now, two of them are going to require a lot more money up front than one, um, or actually two. One requires a lot more money up front than two and three, if you will. Two and three, you can leverage uh, with a smaller down payment and buy both of those properties, putting less money down. The first one, buying the 100K lot and building a house is going to require a larger down payment. So if you have that, there's land in your area. You can find a builder to do it for the price that you want and you, you know, and that you compare that to what you get in your market and that's better for you than build. Um, but what we found in, in having this conversation uh, more recently is that builders are still very expensive. The cost to build while it's down lumber, most of these builders haven't reflected that in their prices. Uh, so it's very expensive and it's difficult to find good quality workers that, you know, can get it done in a timely manner for once. You got a lot working against you when buying a house, a lot and building it. Now with that, you get to build what you want to build, right? So that there's, that's cool. Um, I think that's a dream for, for a lot of people is to be able to have that. 
but for most people, buying the existing home or the new construction is probably a more viable option. Josh, why is it cheaper to have a cash buyer versus someone that's getting financing? Is it cheaper? I, well, no. She had actually followed up and said that she sold to a cash buyer, and it didn't end up really. From a from a seller's perspective, there's really no benefit other than certainty of closing and timeline. I mean, you're still if I'm buying your house cash, I still want you to buy the the owner's title policy, so mm -hmm. I still want title insurance. Um, you're still going to pay transfer taxes. Uh, there's still going to be recording fees, which are going to be on my side. I'm just trying to think of Jeb, what could possibly save uh, a seller money with me paying with cash. I don't think there's anything there. The biggest thing is you're getting more certain seller can save money. How is the right. seller going to save? I mean, money? I'm sorry. The buyer can save money by yeah. not having an appraisal and not having the lender's policy on the title insurance, that sort of thing. But it, as a seller, it doesn't benefit you it benefits the buyer. Yeah, it shortens yeah. the timeline and gives you some additional certainty. I have some friends, unfortunately, going through a divorce. They got a cash offer, 14-day close. In seven days, all the contingencies were removed. In another seven days, they had money and no house. Congratulations. Yes. Um, let's see. Omar, good question here, says, would you recommend a first-time home buyer purchase a home but give up, uh, but giving up from the wants list, yard, garage, et cetera, or wait? and see how everything plays out in the hopes that home prices or rates come down. Difficult question, because how much do you need prices and rates to come down to make what you want realistic? I think that's the real question. Um, should you sacrifice things you want in a property? I think sometimes the answer is yes, uh, but there are absolutely things that you should not sacrifice. Uh, and for some people, that might be a garage. It might be uh, the yard, right? If you have dogs so you have a couple of dogs you can't not have a yard if you have you know multiple dogs yeah you can i mean it's it's it, it's possible but i mean quality of life for for you for the animals probably not good uh so i think to each his own um you know what what i hear when i hear that question a lot and and don't you know get me wrong i'm not reading into this but a lot of people are like when a house is going to be become more affordable and then they look at the price of a house and like it's a million bucks it should be like 700,000 because that's what it was prior to the pandemic. Okay, great. No, it's not going to be 700,000 again. So therefore you should just sacrifice on the things you want if that's if if you can't get a house otherwise. But you can also consider moving to different areas, doing different things. Um it doesn't always have to be, you know, um you know, one or the other. Sometimes you can have both. So you know, I don't know, Josh, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, for me, I could never buy a house that doesn't have a garage especially at this point in my life, right? Kids, stuff, like kids have everything. Like these, uh, so much stuff, you know? And, and I don't care how organized it is. It's everywhere all the time. Um, so for me, I couldn't give up on that. I would have to figure out a plan to be able to get that if I wanted to buy. Did you already post or show the the other part of Omar's question? So it says, San Diego, first time home buyer. I can afford a small condo, but I want a small yard, more square footage, two car garage. Should I wait for rates or prices to keep dropping or jump in the market and get stuck? So like to me, you've told me the answer. If If taking the small condo makes you feel like you're stuck, I wouldn't do it again. I think homeownership is, is important and you should make some sacrifices for it. But if you feel like you're going to feel stuck, if you're in that home for three, five, six years, I wouldn't do it. Um, you know, but then you have to say, what is my game plan? 
I don't think counting on lower rates and or lower prices is necessarily the right answer. Is there a trajectory at work for higher pay? Um, can we do a second job for a couple of years where you can qualify for more? Um, you know, these are not necessarily the best answers. Are you in a relationship where you might be getting married and there's two incomes? Um, is your, are you married and your spouse is at home caring for a kid and going to be going back into the workforce? Is something going to change? I don't believe that home prices are going to drop enough to make a huge difference. We've talked about this, Jeb. Um, interest rates are going to have about a three to one impact on home prices in terms of how much the home has to come down uh, from a seller concession in a purchase price versus a seller concession and buying the interest rate down. Interest rates will have a much bigger uh, impact. And there's definitely some wild cards. I think interest rates over the long haul are going to go lower. Is that one year? Is it two years? Is it six months? Um, we've got the wild cards of fuel and food prices that can't guarantee you that's going to happen. I, again, I kind of use the number two to one odds, 60% chance. So better than even, but it's not a guarantee. So um, I don't necessarily think that I would count on rates and prices to get me into a home um, or something bigger that, that I would be happier with. Um, we already talked about don't go too far out and have a long commute that you hate, but figure out what you can do and compromise on and what you could possibly do to get income up to qualify for more because rates may moderate. I'm not super worried about home prices spiking regardless of what interest rates do, um, but I'm not really thinking they're going to drop a ton either. No, no, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't know that there is an easy answer to that question uh, for most people. Uh, it's you know, if you can't get what you want in in, the, in a house in your market, you've got to make a decision. Do you want to stay in that market or do you want to become a homeowner? And if you want to become a homeowner, then it may require moving out of that market. Now, earlier we talked about you can still be a homeowner and rent in a market, right? Buy out of state. But with that, there's other things involved and it's not an easy answer. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe we should cover that in a, in a podcast episode, Josh. I think that's a, a deep dive that we could take and talk about some of these things. So, yeah. Jeb, we've got another comment here. It's not really a question, but I, I want to address it. Jay Rohr says, you keep thinking the Fed is going to pivot. So I know you have used the term pivot in some of the, the titles to shows and, and videos. Yeah. I never once have, have said pivot. We've talked about people. Are I say pivot, but what does pivot mean? Or, let, let me or, explain though. Well, pivot would mean that they've been hiking. So a pivot would be cutting. Well, to me, a pivot is any change in their current stance, Right. You can take that how you want. So a pivot is if they're hiking, 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 and they don't hike anymore, or they change the language in how they are getting to their, their plan for the future. That to me is a pivot in their stance, right? And to each his own, you take it how you want to take it. But obviously we use these words for, for um, the vernacular for, for obviously for YouTube for, for certain reasons, but never. So in, in terms of clarity, what is my expectation here on video? This will stay up on Jeb's channel forever. Um, I'll I delete it, bro. The, if you're the, wrong, I'll delete it right now. Just edit me out. I, will, I right think, now. I think the fed is, is really close to done. You know, um, I don't think they're likely to cut anytime soon. We've talked about the fed's greatest fear is that they pat themselves on the back consider job well done and reverse course. So the market earlier 
uh, this year. They've, they've already priced it out. The market is no longer expecting rate cuts this year. And I think that's the right answer because it's at the earliest 2024 and no guarantees at that. Um, I don't think I, I do believe they will be done hiking by the end of the year. And we are only going to see quarter percent increases. If we get the what we expect in terms of inflation over the next two, three, four months, they'll be done by the middle of the year, one, maybe two more hikes. But those are largely priced in. Uh, to me, a pivot is a cut. And I don't know when a cut's coming. Yep. Uh, the latest report I read was December. Um, it moved from November to December now, the probability. Uh, but I don't know. Quite frankly, don't really care. Uh, Vister, Vister, I, I love, you know, the, the comments here because I love how people tell me the video titles misleading because rates and prices were considered to be normal in 2019 sales in 2023 will be a third or half of 2019. It's going to be a slow year. Marginal buyers title of the video is misleading. So let's, 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 well, you, let you me say a, the title left, of the video. You, you left a part out, Jeb, the IMO that's in my opinion. Wow. Vister, your opinion is is relevant to you and those who listen to you. What matters is where the market is at. We will not be at a half or a third of where we were in 2019. We may be at half of where we were in 21 and 22 when we were at record high volumes. And and we've talked at length on the well, show. Josh, about you're getting that. off on a tangent here. Let, let's just go back and say, what's the title of video? The title of the video is the housing market is showing signs of picking up again. I don't think anybody that has been in the real estate market for the last four to five months, six months, doesn't think the market is hotter now than it was six months ago, five months ago, four months ago, three months ago, two months ago. Trust me, it's a lot hotter than it was then. Things are moving quicker. Properties are selling faster. There's more demand in the market than those timeframes. So yes, the market is picking up, but just because you don't disagree with it doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. And that's why I love that it's my channel, right? Because I can say those things. Yeah, and 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 you're 100 correct. Bring it back to the title of the show. There is no question uh, about this. I have a client right now that got a counter offer. The property's been on the market for 95 days. They offered 19 thousand dollars less than it was listed for, and they got a counter back at 8 thousand above what they offered. So what's it? 11 thousand less than it was listed for, and they accepted it. That's where the market is at. There is a stalemate here because there's enough demand for the limited supply of homes that are on the market. And they are selling and we are getting purchase contracts in every day. Had a situation last week. I think we talked about it on the show. Um, possibly Jeb, the appraisal came in low. A million nine fifty sale. Appraisal comes in at a million nine. We did a rebuttal. We got it at a million nine twenty. And the seller didn't just roll over and go, cool, I'll take a million nine twenty. There was a negotiation and we agreed at a million nine thirty. This is not a, a market that is super soft and we're seeing price cuts. There are buyers out there that are buying the homes that are available and there's a very limited supply for them to select from. Kathleen has a question here. It says, how can we support our, our friends in real estate? They're starving. My good friend was selling four houses a month, but now sold one in four months. This is serious. So you're not going to like this answer, um, <laughs> Kathleen. But if I was selling four houses a month, um, I was I would probably be putting some money away with the idea that it's not always going to be a great time to sell real estate because I've been in those shoes. So there's not really anything you can do other than if you think they're a great real estate agent, um, you can refer them to anybody that you know that might be thinking of buying or selling. That's what you can always do to help them out in any market. That's the best compliment, if you will. Probably seen that on a business card. Uh, it really is. It That's the best way to help them out is, refer them business. Uh, but in all seriousness, like if you're in the mortgage or real estate business, 
you should be putting money away. I know it's a lot more fun to go spend it and do crazy things. Uh, but if you've been in this business for any period of time, there are ebbs and flows to this business. And in good times, it's good. And in bad times, it's not so good. And there will be, even in good markets, there are times where you might not sell a house in a month and you might sell three or four the next month, five, 10, whatever your number is. So just know it's just part of the part of the business. But to get back to your question, you can help them by referring business. Josh? No, so yeah, same same thing. It, it is it, like we go through this every time there's a big boom. There were a lot of people who got into the mortgage and real estate business in 21 and 2022 when rates were really low and home prices were going up. And, and it, you know, for us in California, a two and a half percent commission on, you know, a million dollar house is $25,000. Mm -hmm. That's not a high end home. So you sell two of those in a year. You're not a successful realist realtor but you made $50,000 and you didn't work all that hard for it. So sell four of those a month, you're doing incredibly well. And again, hopefully you saved up, but long way of saying we go through a, a thinning of the herd in markets like this, that those that didn't save up, those that aren't committed to it in the long term will leave the business. And that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just the reality sort of uh, mortgage and real estate Darwinism. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, here's a good question. Josh says, CJ says, when uh, looking to get pre-approved, will a lender accept combined income from a full-time job and a part-time 1099 contracting job, contracting job, if you have been doing the contracting job for over two years? So they have a history of it. Josh, will they use both those incomes? Absolutely. I have a client um, talked to this morning. He is full-time on his job. His wife only works four days a week. And on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, she does some, some Uber, brings in another $20,000 uh, a year. And we're going to look at the Schedule C. So remember, your 1099 income is not income. It's not like your W-2. We're going to go and look at your Schedule C and give you the net income after your expenses. For someone that does Uber, DoorDash, any of that stuff, I get this one all the time. Like, no, I make like 70 grand. Correct. You earn $70,000, but you have insurance, gas, or, you know, tires, upkeep on your car. So we need to look at that Schedule C and see what your net income is after you've paid all the expenses. And most people are pretty aggressive with their expenses. So their net income is lower than what they actually earn. And if you compare it to a similar W-2 job, it's going to be lower. But the answer to this question, 200%. We can use both your W-2 income and your 1099 income since you have the two-year history of that second job of self-employment. All right. Really easy question here to answer, Josh. How long after a broker runs your credit can you go to other brokers without getting your credit hit? Jeb, my favorite part about that question is, is that Dina already oh. answered it correctly. Huh? 45, 45 days, there you go. but keep it within 30 to be safe. Um, and if you don't believe me, go go um, do a Google search for it. The CFPB has a web page up that you have 45 days uh, on important things like mortgages, student loans, auto loans to shop. And it, you can't shop all of them in one of those categories because they consider them important and they want you to be able to compare different lenders without negative hits. Now, Jeb, side note there, we've talked about this before on the show. Um, lenders are going to be a lot less willing to just run your credit willy nilly. Um, if I wanted to run some an individual borrower's credit in December, it cost me $26. Today, it costs $96. I'm not saying that's indicative for everyone, but that is literally a 400% increase. Nearly everyone experienced a 250 to 400% increase in the cost of their credit reports. So again, if we say maybe one out of five people that I talk to, one out of four people that I talk to are actually going to close on a loan, that's four or $500. Um, and the only one we get to collect for is the one 
one person to close. So there's, a, you know, a three to 400 sunk cost there in running those. So we are more careful in making sure that you're both serious and likely to qualify before we're pulling that credit report. All right. Uh, Andre says, is it possible that a mortgage broker can lean towards a bank that offers a higher commission rather than one that offers better rates? So I know back in the day, Josh, when I did loans in, in the heyday, this was really easy to do, right? Some lenders, you could jack up a rate and get a much higher commission by doing this. Is that possible today or is it uh, more in line based off the way the compensation agreement works? Under the law, no. But you asked the question specifically here, a broker. So if you are a direct lender, you have a compensation plan and you may have different investors on the back end, but the contract with the originator, the person that you are talking to as a borrower has to say they can't be compensated for steering. There's an anti-steering disclosure that you will sign showing different terms available. But brokers, if they don't care about the law and are willing to risk um, some fairly serious repercussions, they can set up with 10 different lenders. They have to set their comp with each one of those lenders to say, hey, I want one and a half points on every loan. Hey, I want two points on every loan. But if you've got 20 different lenders, you can have 20 different comp plans and they could steer you towards one of those lenders. Now, on an audit, they are going to be in big trouble. It is very obvious and very easy to see what they are doing. When um, I set my comp with all of my lenders, we set it the same. So there's no incentive to go with one lender over another. That way, if we ever get an audit, they go, look, here's 30 lenders. Here's 30 comp plans. It is the same across the board with all of them. So it's possible, um, unlikely. And if you get the feeling like that's happening, talk to another lender, talk to another broker. The market is more likely to keep a broker honest than the, the rules and the laws are. All right, there you go. Um, you know, just because, hi, my name is Tim. You know, this is the first time I've actually taken the time to figure out the combined name here. I always see it and I always see like something like Himalayan. Like for <laughs> like whatever it. reason, like I see that and I think Himalayan. And now I just took the time to break it down and it's Tim. Tim says, we are great. Thanks for doing these. So appreciate you, Tim. Or him, hi, my name is Tim. Or Himmy, Himmy name is Tim. I don't know. Himmy Nystum. Himmy Nystum or just Himalayan. Uh, either way, we appreciate you. I, I All seriousness, dude, I'm not joking. I really thought like this whole time I was looking at that thinking, uh, you know. Tim, Tim says, come over on. Tim says, come on, Jeb, you're smarter than that. Kilimanjaro over there. I thought they were in, uh, you know, doing something, you know, maybe a Sherpa. Up in the Himalayas. I didn't know. This is a strange question, Jeb. The Spaniard wants to know if we're still live. Spaniard, we are live and we are we waiting. We are your, live. You hear your name, right? We are waiting for your question. So the real question needs to get posted below. We are still here and we're still answering questions. So please the ask. Real Slim one. Shady. Uh, how do you, Josh? I have to use the restroom really bad. I'm at that point in the night. Um, so, you're, so the Spaniard better get his question in quick because we're going to wrap this thing up. So, Jeb, can yeah, use we the might. Facilities. We might. Uh, let's see. Where are we? Um, we're an hour 43 in. Uh, does it okay? Like, help me find some questions here. I'm not seeing a lot that is uh peeking out at me. And uh, says, does the new loan adjuster apply to DSCR loans or only conforming loans? So maybe Josh, what is a DSCR loan quickly? Um, and do any of the, do they have their own uh, price adjustments because it's not a conforming loan? 
it's a debt service coverage ratio loan where you use the rents um, from an investment property to qualify. Those do not go to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The only loans that are impacted by these loan level price adjustment changes are loans that are sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That was really easy. That was a simple question. Um, That'll make a good short, Jeb. Uh, really good short. Uh, let's see. Lender wants me to have my house rented, if not sold by the closing date on a new home. They just say they need a deposit and a lease agreement. Is this an okay workaround for a temporary high DTI? So that what they're asking for is legit. They're not asking you for anything out of the ordinary uh, when they're asking you for a, a rental agreement and a deposit on a house. They're asking you for two things. If you can provide those two things, you should be able to work around that condition. Leave it at that. It, it's not uncommon. Um, it's kind of a silly quirk. It would make more sense to just document the market rents, uh, a market rent survey. You can buy one of those from an appraiser for about 150 bucks. You can get it from something like Rentometer Pro and just show that you could lease the property because it makes sense that you'd rather get out, get the property cleaned, make it show well, and then lease it. But most loan programs are going to require you to have the property leased before you leave the property. Some require that deposit, some don't. So Fannie Freddie, you can get away without uh, showing the deposit. That could be a lender overlay, or you could be on another type of loan program that does require the deposit. Here's a good one. Uh, let's see. I bought a piece of jewelry from K Jewelers. Will that show up when we go to talk to a mortgage company? Obviously, don't want the girlfriend to know. So this is this get... is this is wild. I have had this stuff happen before, where a girlfriend wife sees the joint credit report and loses her mind. I've had one where um, someone uh... had a car for their their side chick, and uh, that became uh, apparent throughout the process. When there's like, why are there three car payments on here? We don't have three cars. And guess what? They actually had three cars. So yes, K Jewelers <laughs> does report. I can tell you that I have seen K Jewelers as a line item on a credit report. Yeah. So you need to, you need to start, maybe you need to propose bud before you you apply for the house, just so you're, you're safe there. Um, let's see. Got a couple of good questions here. We're going to hit them up real quick. Uh, Bill wants to get another old school video, Josh. Um, I'm sure there's one out there. If you want to find one, I'm trying to find today. the picture Jeb of you and I on the night you got engaged. I have it. Let's, I have let's it. show them that it's just a picture, but that's a good one. That was that might have been the last time that I was spectacularly drunk and Jeb was more drunk than I was. That's how much we celebrated Jeb's uh, engagement. Oh boy. That was, that was 13 years ago. Yeah. We were younger men then yes. we were more, more capable of going hard and not getting yes. ourselves in trouble. Uh, Salita says, uh, Hey Jeb only been going through NACA would, would not know what the first thing to do is if I get tired of their process, where do I start? Talk to a lender. Um, in your whatever state you're in, um, there's a link that I can put on the bottom. I'll put it up now where you can go and talk to a lender, find out what your options are uh, if you are tired of going through NACA, right? Um, here in Southern California, now there's a, a, a new program that we're not going to talk about it tonight. Josh, maybe we can talk about it more next time because there's some more details. But uh, a program in Southern California for what, six SoCal counties? that will help you with basically down payment um, in certain areas uh, of this of this market. And it's legit. It's through a local credit union um, that Josh has access to. So just start with a lender. 
That's that's yeah. the easy easy answer. We 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 talk a lot about there's no such thing as free money, and yet we found a free money program. So we'll go through the details because it'll take a little bit of time. But yeah, next week we will have the full details on that one. Jeb, I found the picture. Oh, did you? I was gonna go find it. We're not there yet. Okay. Whenever so, whenever uh, you're ready, I have found the picture. I think so. the video video is better because video is like just shows how awful uh we both were on here um not that we're much better today but we're definitely better than we were uh we've improved see. we've learned a few things over the years um i have a couple questions nope uh, there was one question here josh that i thought was a good one uh t tom 19 says which would you go for as an investment property a house next to ucr a house or a condo next to ucsd University of California, San Diego. I bet you the house um, is a more reasonable price. So the rents relative to the cost of the property are probably better for UCR. Um, UCSD, very desirable area. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say the HOA dues for the condo are going to make your rent yield less attractive relative to UCR. Long haul, you're probably going to see more appreciation on the condo. You, yeah, I, I don't know. I think for selfish reasons, I was thinking UCSD. Um, I was thinking I was single in college again, and I was thinking, hey, that's a great place to be. Jeb down in the uh, gas lamp at the werewolf <laughs> every night doing karaoke till 3 a.m. Oh, uh, yeah, with Willing. Um, no, um, yeah, I, I don't, I think, again, the numbers never lie. Look at what the rents can bring in, look at the cost to own them. Um, and, and you can even go back and look at what appreciation's done in those areas. Uh, UCR, is is not as populous probably as UCSD when it comes to building. Uh, I mean, when being you know um, close to campus and and what have you. So I think a lot of that proximity to camp, a lot of that it it's who are you renting to? What are the market rent? There's a lot that's going to play into it. Uh, I don't know if it's just a an easy answer. Um, so run the numbers and and see which is which is best for you. Josh, I have to use the restroom so bad. So what I'm going to do now. Is I'm, I'm going to ask gonna, that if you've been watching this and you found any value at all, that you hit the thumbs up. Check out the podcast on Tuesday. Feel free to subscribe to the channel if you like us. Um, Want to see more of this? We're here every Wednesday. Josh has a, a, a very – this is – what's the – how long ago was that? That was 12 years ago. Was that when you got, in, we got engaged? Was this engaged or was this when we found out we were we were having Landon? I don't remember. I'm trying to think. I think this was engagement. This was this was Main Street, Huntington Beach. Um, after spending too much time at the Aloha <laughs> Grill with about 87 rainbows, which, if you are not uh, aware, they're alcoholic slurpees, so you can just sit there and obliterate yourself. Oh, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, this this picture is probably going to circle the internet now in some some fashion. It'll so, make a, a dating, a fake dating. If, if that made you smile at all, hit the thumbs up again. No, in all seriousness, guys, we appreciate you appreciate the support. We're here to educate, guide you guys through the process. We really want to create educated home buyers. It makes our life a lot easier, makes you guys a lot better uh, to be able to navigate that process. And that is really uh, where we're coming from. So thank you guys, uh, Josh, anything you want to add before we head out? No, um, have a great week. We'll be back with some more information. I don't know. We're going to get a lot of news this week, but we'll let you know what happened. All right. Until next time, guys. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? 
please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.